I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. We've been chanting Tara's mantra, the Fima Buddha mantra, Tara, emerald green, like Mother Earth, like nature, like spiritual chlorophyll that makes all the everything grow, the bodhicitta incarnate. Tara, the womb of enlightenment, mother of all the Buddhas, Prajnaparamita, etc. Intuitive gnosis or wisdom prajna seen as invited as feminine female feminine wisdom as in being yin rather than doing yang balancing our ego striving our yang goal orientation with the yin of just being which is more relevant to our zogchen practice non-meditation, not meditating to get enlightened later, but relying on innate wakefulness, the incorruptible Buddha nature, the clear light, the divinity within, whatever we want to call it, not just one more construction project, trying to get across the river of suffering, as they say, to the other shore, nirvana, as progressive, gradual, developmental paths usually put it from here to there. But how to get from here to totally and truly here is the real challenge, the direct path, direct access, non-dual path of Mah- Tantra Mahamudra and Dzogchen. How to get from here to, to totally here, where we already are, that's the challenge. How to get where you already are. How to be when we already are. When we already be, how to be. Thus, we find even in the Mahayana sutras, 
I believe it's in the Diamond Sutra that we heard quoted the other day about the eight similes of illusion. See everything like a dream, a mirage, a fantasy, a sitcom, a movie, and so on. In the Diamond Sutra, it says, Buddha said, when I achieved unexcelled, irreversible, supreme, perfect enlightenment, Anuttara, Samyak, Sambodhi, I obtained nothing I didn't have before. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Drew. Them strong words. That's that's strong medicine. That's a. I don't like really say bitter, but that's quite a big pill. That's a horse pill to swallow. In fact, if you swallow it, it will just take out your throat, your head, and your your you, you, you which is the point. So we've been chanting Tara's mantra in a little bit in homeopathic fashion, practicing her meditation, being Tara, praying to Tara, being Tara, and whatever the different phases are. If you go into those details of Adriana, deity yoga practice or Yidam practice, Tara, the goddess, meditation archetype, Yidam practice. But we just ended our main session with that, the main session of awareness, naked awareness practice, Dzogchen sky gazing, trek chud, seeing through, being through. We began, of course, with a little chanting and breathing. So bracketing our main Dzogchen awareness practice with these more formal or formed, structured, explicitly religious style practices, just bracketing it, bracketing this formless naked awareness practice, rather unstructured, formless naked awareness practice with these more formed, form-relative practices. Just balancing form and emptiness, effort and non-effort, and various other things, complementary energies to keep in balance and in the picture, well-rounded and grounded, swooping from above with the view while climbing from below, while not as opposed to or without, while climbing from below and so forth. I find chanting is important. It's always been an important, a big, always. It has been for a long time an important part of my practice. So if it's useful to you, enjoy it, take it up. If not, leave it aside, as Buddha himself said. If it's useful and conducive to enlightenment and the good and the true and beautiful, take it up. Otherwise, leave it aside. You don't have to believe just because he says it or because it's taught. So that's an important tenet of Buddhism since the beginning. So these are what's called skillful means or useful methods. If it's useful to you, if it's not useful, leave it aside. There are many different ways to kneel and kiss the ground, as the poet Rumi sang. A thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground, even without kneeling. Just because you're a cripple, can't kneel, doesn't mean you can't bend the knee in reverence mentally and so forth. So... Skillful means, upaya, skillful means, means, not the end. So we find different practices at different times, different courses for different horses, different practices at different times, stages of our path, for, or for different spiritual personalities according to our needs. So the breathing exercises is another thing from the six Vajrayana yogas, the six energy yogas of Tibet. A little breathing exercises, breathing and holding and 
ooing and eyeing, and you know, it's it's a good skillful means for those that are more yogically inclined. Just like philosophy is good for those who are philosophical and analytically inclined. Not everybody, certainly. So we've been practicing this way, but the main practice, which I'm teaching, I want to come back to, is the awareness practice, of course. So Chen meditation, so-called, the non-meditation of Tregchud, seeing through, being through, literally cutting through. We've covered all this natural body, natural breath and energy, natural mind, the three pillars of natural meditation in the form of sky gazing, sky space, union yoga, or infinite union. Sky, light, sky mind practice, panoramic awareness. With everything open, eyes open, and everything open, and at ease, not looking inside for anything, not looking out there for anything, and not getting stuck anywhere in between. Flow. Flow is one of the main characteristics and spontaneity and naturalness of Dzogchen non-meditation, of Dzogchen practice. The view, the meditation of non-meditation and spontaneous action, the Buddha activity. So there's a few basic principles of Dzogchen practice that we could mention. We don't usually find this in book. View meditation and action is how Mahamudra and Dzogchen are always or often described. But a few just tips and pointers, sort of some basic principles of Dzogchen. Somebody asked, how is it different or same as Vipassana insight meditation or mindfulness the other day? So you can draw your own conclusions. But Dzogchen doesn't depend so much on concentration, etc., building up concentration or stages of enlightenment, the path of purification leading to enlightenment or seven lifetimes or any other gradual path. That's all in the general uh, Mahayana Buddhism that the Vajrayana and Tantras are based in, of course. But Dzogchen based more, not so much on concentration as on naturalness as it is, the natural state, ordinariness. Naturalness is the way, as the Zen master sang. Not trying to put a boot head on top of your head and looking like a gargoyle or a monster or imitate oriental or, you know, foreign clothes or hairstyles or music, but authentic, homegrown, natural, made in America or wherever you're made, Buddhas. Even the word Buddhas is way, way too parochial. Yudas. Authenticity. Not imitation and fabrication. Thank you. <laughs> so naturalness is the way. And relaxation. Not stressing effort all the time. Of course, effort is there. But let's talk about effortless effort. Like it's important sometimes in relationships or in life to know when to coast and when to relax. Not always striving and struggling to get ahead or whatever. Or to train or to be better. Of course, we do. And we are in this to be better off, to make a better world, to be better people, and so on. Of course, but that's just one side of it. And let's not make that the only side. There's also the other side of self-love and self-acceptance and flow and recognizing the everyday dharma, the wisdom of everydayness, of ordinariness. So relaxation, and letting go. We always hear letting go, but it could seem to imply getting rid of or suppressing or throwing away. How about letting be? So that we don't become 
try to become thought police, thought stoppers, trying to stop thinking as so many people do when we first start meditating. You don't hear me instructing to calm and clear your mind or stop thinking. We're talking about awareness of whatever arises, thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sounds, sights, sensations, whatever. That's the awareness practice. Mindfulness of thoughts is meditation. That's not just thinking. Thinking about thinking is, or analyzing thinking is just thinking, which has its place in life, but not in this practice so much here, what we're doing this week. So spontaneity and flow. What else do we have, Christopher? Openness. In other words, not focusing down, not closing our eyes, putting in earplugs and trying to go in and get away from it all so we can find something. Of course, that's useful, especially in the beginning. When we first plant the tree, we might need a fence around it. But Dzogchen's a very advanced and subtle mystical practice. It's way too late for a fence, for a moat, for armor, for defense mechanisms, for barricades. Way too late for borders. To openness, including everything in our awareness practice. As a Tibetan Lama said, if you can't, you know... (laughs) If you can't practice Dzogchen on a traffic island in the middle of Broadway, then think again about what you're doing. Now, I'm not advocating you going there because, you know, you might get mugged or something, but what's the point, of course, that this is an integrative practice. The view can be applied and enhance any action, any aspect of life, any practice or non-practice. So openness, not narrowing it down, not trying to limit out the, not trying to get rid of the profane and only relate to the sacred, not trying to only do spiritual things and consider some things spiritual and some things not spiritual. It's very hard to keep doing spiritual things if you don't like go to the bathroom and also do the ordinary things that some people might call dirty or that are done privately. Because it's all part of the mix, like the yin and yang, which are intertwined, not separate. Like light and dark, as we discussed. Shadows are nothing but light. We can't really talk about the light if we don't know what shadows are. There's no contrast. There's no reference point. That's the problem with notions of oneness. Our notion of oneness is not oneness. It's separateness. We want it. That, there's dualism in that. That's dualistic thinking not oneness. That's why Buddhism takes more the agnostic or the like uh, sort of negative approach of saying not to. Non-duality is emphasized in Buddhism, not oneness. Because you can't have an observation without an observer, as Buddha pointed out long ago, as Einstein sort of proved uh, scientifically recently. So, of course, awareness, presence, Awareness is the Alpha and Omega, the active ingredient in any Buddhist practice. And perspicacity, a very acute, insightful discrimination, more sharpness, acuteness, perspicacity, being very perceptive, not just sitting there dazed and dull. There's definitely the, why, the wisdom, insight, cutting, discriminating part of this awareness practice. So these are eight important principles of Dzogchen. 
non-meditation. Really, the view is more important than the meditation in this. That's why we don't emphasize posture or duration or crossing your legs and so on, as in some other traditions might. Every tradition has a different emphasis. Of course, all Buddhist practices have one goal, if you want to put it that way, enlightenment, freedom, whatever you call it. So we practice accordingly in this natural meditation, according to these principles. You notice it doesn't say concentration. It doesn't say longer is better. There's nothing in here about experiences or visions or radiating light or world peace or loving kindness or compassion, because those are not what's emphasized in Dzogchen non-meditation, which is what we're talking about right now. That is in more the, um, the rest of the practice and teachings of the path. We're not mentioning here prayer. We're not mentioning a lot of things that we might mention here. Precepts, morality, and character building. We're not mentioning here things like that. We're not mentioning mindful anger management. We're not mentioning a lot of things that could be very helpful today in life that are part of the general Buddhist path of enlightenment and of awakened living, of course. So this is about the Dzogchen non-meditation. As I mentioned yesterday, the view like the sky naturally segueing or leading to the meditation of non-meditation, like a mountain, imperturbable, no matter what falls on it or grows on it, naturally expressing itself if needed, as needed as proactive Buddha activity, if needed, as needed. Not just egocentric, reactive, karmic activity, as wanted, as desired. So emphasizing more the view, nothing more to do, but enjoy the view, rely on the view, abide in the view. The view like the sky, without corners, without outside and inside. The meditation, like the mountain. The non-meditation, but getting used to leaving it as it is. The view as it is, the meditation, leaving it as it is, and the action in accord as needed as is natural responsiveness, spontaneous, loving activities, not selfish activities, compassion and action and so forth, the whole 10 bodhisattva urges. In the middle of our sky gazing practice, the last couple of days I've used as a tune up in the middle, the 100 syllable mantra of Vajrasattva, which is on page. And we um, use that as a tune-up. Today, I used it as the uh, insight, the um, self-inquiry question as a tune-up. Looking into who or what is experiencing. So we're not just sitting there dazed and kind of spacing out like, ah, so chat. Like an old dog, as Patru Rinpoche used to call himself. That's how he signed most of his spontaneous poems and songs of enlightenment. Old dog, or wandering old dog, vagrant old dog, buck-toothed old dog. But precise, perspicacious, clear, astute, clear clarity. Not just vague, fuzzy, it's all one. Spacing out. I find this self-inquiry question very illuminating. Not everybody does. We don't want to 
fall into distracting ourselves by sitting there and thinking about the self and who are we too much. We use it to, like, that's where the shout comes in, pet, the sharp cutting word taught in the three vital points, the text of Dzogchen by Patra Rinpoche, shouting, pet! And then sensing, ooh, what is experience? Turning the spotlight, the search inward, taking the backward step, as someone calls it, looking at the looker, making the subject the object of attention, looking at the looker, perceiving the perceiver, seeing through the seer and being free, plumbing that bottomless abyss of openness, that mystery of identity. Who are we? Not giving into thinking at that time, popping it abruptly and letting go and see if you can startle yourself into a new way of seeing and being. The eye cannot see itself, as they say. The sword cannot cut itself. But I think that's just a, you know, a metaphor. The eye can see itself with a mirror. And this kind of practice is how the eye sees itself and sees through itself and sees that although it looks like there's two, there's not two. In the mirror of emptiness, we recognize the not-two-ness of our usual subject-object dual consciousness. Are you with me? That should be clear. In the mirror of emptiness, we recognize the non-dual nature of our usual dualistic vision of subject, object, and interaction, which is the wheel of karma. Bumper cars, really? There's no bumper cars when there's not two. There's no bumping. It's just a great vehicle. So from view, meditation, action, they're really all in, in one, inseparable, like the three steps freedom in looking, seeing, and releasing, or in more broadly experiencing to all the senses, not just looking, experiencing, penetrating, or recognizing, and third, releasing, allowing, and in the moment, cutting through practice or pithy instruction, pith instruction from the lineage teachings. As things arise, just experiencing, recognizing, and releasing. Recognizing what? Well, I hate to put it in words. But if we have to say something, recognizing the dreamlike, impermanent, ownerless, selfless, ownerless nature of these arisings. First, there's a mere sound, then we reify it. We name and form it. We call it something. We call it sound. Next, we get into the liking and disliking business of attraction and aversion, the basic Buddhist poisons. I want, I don't want. Oh, nice sound. Oh, nice bird sound. Oh, it sounds so nice when I'm meditating. Uh, it's even better. Or why is that truck backfiring? You know, oh, traffic sound. Why, why don't they, why, why don't those trucks go away and come back on the weekend when we're not meditating? Oh. Always trying to change the reality. And we don't even know what's going on out there. Maybe those trucks are bringing our, our food. Maybe they're doing something that we need done. We don't know with our tunnel vision, our straw looking at the infinite. Yes, it is infinite sky through a straw, but so limited, that particular kind of infinite, compared to when you're on top of a mountain looking at the infinite sky. So different perspectives or a different scope. As Nyosho Kempa used to say, the difference between ordinary beings and, and, and Buddhas is the scope of awareness.
I feel like sometimes we're fiddling while Rome burns externally in the New Age ghetto. But internally, which is our subject here, like sitting and trying to meditate and think or be happy while the central city is burning with delusion and confusion and we're just trying to avoid it, which is so temporary. Trying to stick our head in the sand, for example, of concentration or of no thought. No thought is just one more state of mind, very temporary. In Dzogchen, we call, we talk about three advanced obstacles, no thought, clarity, and bliss, because they're just temporary states of mind. They're like the good meditations, but they're still just a state of mind, not to hold on to, not to get caught in, not to remember and try to get back to. Flow, ride the flow. Every moment is a cresting wave of nowness, evolution transforming. That's why we talk about nowness and being present and all these words. If we go deep, we find out that, you know, they're all synonymous or just looking at it from a slightly different angle at the same thing. Not trying to compare it or get back to that state of mind that we experienced once. That's just a holding pattern. No thought, clarity, bliss, good meditation. Those are ideas. So letting go of such ideas and thoughts in this practice, not necessarily in life or when we're evaluating our practice later, but when we study these things, there's a lot of different things we could talk about. The two main kinds of Buddhist meditation, concentration and wisdom, shamatha and vipassana, or other things, loving kindness meditation, compassion meditation, deity yoga meditation, clear light meditation, dream yoga meditation, mantra meditation, so many things we could talk about. But in this practice, keeping on the beam here of the view, simple, uncomplicated, without stages or steps, without goals, goalless, aimless, signless, the three characteristics of this kind of deep dharma. Not sitting in the Dzogchen practice thinking about enlightenment or Buddha, just being. You can say being Buddha is too reifying, it's too parochial. Just being, being Yuda, being authentically present, just being. Thus, we have words like primordial presence, like presence. Even translating Rigpa is awareness. Even with a capital A, it's too personified, it's too anthropocentric. Awareness of what, we wonder. Presence. That's not primordial, translates it with a capital P. Presence of what? Good question. Who's present? This is not a new question. It's a timeless, age-old, evergreen, existential question. Even Abbott and Costello worked it. You can listen to them online. It's available. Who's on first? The other one says, who? First one says, that's what I'm asking you. Who's on first? The other one says, who? Who's on first? They start arguing. That's our us at work with our thoughts and our usual way of thinking, kind of fallacious reasoning mental masturbation in a way, but amusing. We can enjoy it. We should enjoy it, but not take it so seriously, especially if it doesn't bring all the answers that we think we want in the way that we want them. Maybe not knowing is deeper than most of our fallacious kinds of knowing. Thus, the mystery. 
leaving room for the mystery and for not knowing and the limits of the conceptual mind of the intellect. Any questions, please? Yes, Bob. So I was meditating outside over the last hour before we came in here. I wasn't planning to um, raise this kind of question um, till maybe later in the week, but so I'm uh, out there for the last hour and I'm uh, been a little benefit out of the little uh, adjustment that I was making. Thank you to Judy. So I was getting maybe a little warmer rather than a lot colder. <laughs> in any case, I wasn't turning into an ice cube, you know. And um, after, Sounds good. Judy's a great yoga teacher. So, yeah, it was doing the job, you know. And uh, so you're sitting in the snow, melting the snow and the earth and <laughs> like the earth's core, even. I was hoping Drew was going to come out with some of those cold, wet towels for me to start drying up. You know? <laughs> but he was too busy warming them up himself, I think. <laughs> so um, at, at the end of. Um, this hour, so I'm finishing up doing my. You know, I hope this works out better for the world. Kind of being a good Prayers. dedicator. I'm yeah. sorry. Prayers, they're called. Yeah, right. So I'm trying to do what I'm yeah. supposed to do for once. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking about the fact that uh, next year I'll turn 70 and. I'm probably more than halfway there, and there are still lots of opportunities, but maybe not past tomorrow. I don't know. And um, I'm really kind of reflecting on this because, as you know, um, I have a lot of opportunities in various ways. And just as I'm putting that question to myself, a boat comes out. What, what question? Just so we're all what, with what, you. What am I going to do with all this? Okay. Not that I have to do anything. I know I don't have to do anything. Okay. It's good not to do anything. A boat comes by. But still, I want to know what to do, right? <laughs> of course. And we will tell you, but go on. <laughs> so so a, boat com a boat comes. At that very moment, a boat comes out. And it's a bit kind of like a um, uh, furniture boat. A, you know, like a, it's a cargo boat, right? Medium-sized boat. The name of the boat is Aphrodite. Wonderful. Plus, it's spelled A-F-R-O. <laughs> I'll give you a gong for that. Judy, I feel a cartoon coming out of this story. Yeah. Well, Judy and I are working on Dharma tunes. What do we call them? Karma tunes? Together, we have about 50. And then on so, the side of the boat, one more thing. Yes. Not, in case everybody doesn't know what Aphrodite is, maybe just put a little parenthesis. Like, you mean the goddess of wisdom? Is that the name of the boat that came by? Uh, the goddess of something. Okay, go I, on. Thank you. And, um, and then on the side of the boat, it says T-E-N, like number 10. But the t little, this is too complicated, but the little, the T yes. was a little T, actually. So I had the feeling like something was left out. It's like it dropped off the side of this boat, okay? But you know, the main thing was the Aphrodite at that moment, you know? And um, the, uh, 
the personal question is what I was saying before, and you know me a little bit, so if you have an opinion about what I should do, are you finished with the story so we can all think about that but, story? Yeah, but 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 I was thinking more punchline, the, the moral of the tale. Uh, how do you work with things like that? I try not to um, make. I, what did Dujarim Pache call in one of his great poems? Don't add arrow, don't add feathers onto it, the stick where it never grew, unless you're trying to make an arrow for some reason. I try not to add things on to what's, what's growing along. Like if you see two birds, you know, not start to wonder if I'm going to meet my soulmate today. As people tell me they, they do. So it sounds like, you know, you were meditating and you were, you know, getting the heat of samadhi and all, and then you finished and then you saw something and then you, you know, made into a nice cartoon for you. You, you, you were a script, became a script writer. So as Trump used to say, why be a script writer unless you're getting paid for it? So, that, so I try not to story up everything. Of course, that's easier said than done because the mind is a story-making machine, as it were. Man, you know, I, I, human, human is a storytelling machine, as it were. But that has its limit. You know, it's beautiful and it's fun. It also has its limits. Actually, I, I realized that I didn't make something explicit, um, which I um, should have. Okay, um, it, it didn't come through as like it was just um, a coincidence. This was like a synchronistic something. Okay. You know, like 25 years ago, I was reading um, St. Francis by uh, Kazantzakis. And at a um, crucial moment on a rainy day, I'm at a bus stop and I'm remembering the paragraph I just left. No, I'm serious, this is true. Uh, I'm remembering the paragraph that I had just read at home 20 minutes before. And I'm re imaging the moment in which he throws coal on his um, lentils or dirt on his lentils. Nice. Ashes on lentils, thank you. And um, it really kind of caught me as like an embodiment of something yeah. about self abnegation. And at that moment, it's a cloudy day. There is a huge thunderclap. Okay. And I get, and I'm just like emotionally shredded. And I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm really listening. Please tell me what to do. Okay. I'm not, but I'm not joking about it. I'm not really, it was like that kind of trends personal kind of moment, you know? So this was like, listen up, Bob. I'm listening, sir, you tell me. <laughs> You're telling but, us. But I'm serious. I'm listening. But so, listening. so it wasn't just like a coincidence thing I'm saying. Like, We're listening to your stories. How can I help you? Tell you what? what do you, what's your question? How can I serve you? What oh, are you well, after, Bob? Well, I thought that the, like I said, if you had an idea, some association to me in, you know, in your free-flowing mind, about what this might mean for me or about me. I'm all ears, but I thought as, as a, uh, um, a more general kind of thing for uh, us, how one works with moments that seem to carry great imports, like a dream, like your teacher used well, to. Well, from the Dzogchen point of view, you know, just um, enjoying it as it is, Imaho, and enjoying the sitcom. Of course, there are other yanas and approaches to how you work with dreams, whether you interpret them or or you divide, you know, these kind of dreams, like there's meaningless seeming dreams or there's like dreams which stimulated by what you ate before you went to sleep. 
or maybe there's clear light dreams that are different qualitatively, you know, some blessing or a special dream. So it depends on what you're trying to do. I think from our Dzogchen point of view, you see it all like a dream and you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And not make it into more of a story because it's all about it's all selfing at work. It's self-stories, really. You're making up stories and telling yourself stories to entertain yourself or for whatever reason. And selfing is very strong and continues. So we're trying to, you know, see through that habit in this unmeditation, undoing the habit of overdoing, as I said, not adding feathers onto the stick where it never grew, onto the twig where it never grew, unless you're trying to make an arrow. Then you know, you have a certain purpose, then you're in the relative world where you put things together skillfully to accomplish a purpose. So some people, I mean, there are teachers who are very shamanic oriented who will talk about signs and omens and what things mean and the clouds and the thunderclap and, uh, you know, what this and the signs and omens. And more there are seers and, you know, prognosticators and, you know, psychic. There's a lot of that. That's not particularly our Dzogchen practice. Of course, that could be part of Vajrayana and other traditions. So if you're tuned into that, good. So then I would ask you, you know, like, so are your prognostications or interpretations working and helpful? Or are you just getting caught up in your dreams? I'm very interested when I dream about something happening or somebody I'm interested to see, you know, like what, if, if it shows up in some way. I'm not that interested because it, it, it I, and that's not my specialty. It doesn't, yeah. it's not one of my skills or, or gifts. So it, you could look and see if it's one of yours and I hope it helps you. Any questions, please? I think it's better, Bob, you do your tumo and burn out all of your karmic imprints. You know, including the imprint of being an overeducated, you know, high-achieving man in this, you know, intellectual Northeast power corridor with your profession and your way of thinking. That's a big karmic imprint in terms of freedom. It's a great asset and skill, but it's not the ultimate word in terms of, I think, what you're seeking, really. Yes. Hi, Dave. Any um, advice, tips, or tricks to come back to Dzogchen practice in the midst of when we're out in the world? And I ask because, you know, I have skills of mindfulness that I could bring off the cushion, but when I'm shoveling snow or I'm, you know, in traffic anxiety, blood pressure's up, pulse is up, and it doesn't seem to fit natural body, natural breath. It's you know that might work if I'm standing online at the bank and annoyed that there's only one teller at lunchtime. I might be I could see Dzogchen returning more easily. How is that different than in traffic? Well, I think in traffic uh, there's hmm, there's stimuli coming all over the place. There's anxiety. There's maybe there's the guy that's on my tail. There's the guy honking. It's a, it's a lot more stimulus I think than when I'm picturing okay. in the bank. But maybe. but when when I'm doing something very physical my idea of bringing mindfulness back to my activity is somatic and Dzogchen seems different. So I'm just wondering. Somatic's a good anchor for mindfulness. Yes. Yeah. Really for any practice, any, you know, 
center. Since you're talking about coming back, you have to come back to something. I mean, this is your framework, so I'm dealing with it. Dzogchen is not really about coming back. Remember what I said about riding the cresting wave? Not coming back to some state that you remember being better, centeredness or quiet or whatever. But I So think, it's possible to come back to Dzogchen even when we're, our body's up, our sympathetic nervous system up and running? Um, it, it depends on to what extent that that's going on physically and energetically. But um, I think you can take a breath and relax and settle into natural body and natural breath and natural mind anywhere and anytime. But maybe there's different ways to do it in different situations. Like shoveling snow is a good example. Physical activity you know, kind of the Zen of shoveling snow is just do what you're doing while you're doing it. Not try to meditate while you're shoveling snow. Just shoveling 100% would be the Zen of shoveling. I mean, there are books about this. Zen in the art of tennis, Zen in the art of um, archery is the classic, you know, Zen gardening, Zen one-stroke painting. 100% doing what you're doing while you're doing it. And Dzogchen that's a that's a good tip. You know, it's not trying to meditate while you're shoveling snow. From the Dzogchen point of view, I would say the view would be, you know, just um, doing what you're doing and noticing that you're, th- you know, like the view would be um, appreciating thoughts and letting them go. Thank you. And come back to shoveling if you want to talk about it that way. So, Shoveling helps you be relaxing at the same time, you know, like exercise or extreme sports helps you forget yourself. Let's talk in a different way. Forgetting yourself could be the essence of the practice. Forget about mindfulness, meditation, coming back, anxiety, you see. So extreme sports and other things that transport you beyond yourself and you kind of, it says in the scriptures, lose yourself means small self and find your true self, your big self, your transpersonal being. You're not dead. You're still aware, but you're not so self-preoccupied with self-clinging, self-limiting. And since many of us are in the car a lot, it's a very relevant um, point to apply something helpful in the car. So rather than comparing, you see, I question these kind of ideas. Like it's easier to do it in the checkout line at the supermarket than in the car in traffic. The checkout line, somebody else might say is very stressful, distracting. And the people behind you are pushing and arguing about counting how many, you know, if you're over or under the express limit or, you know, whatever's going, it's a, it's a hurly bird. It's a bumper cars. It's Coney Island, like everywhere else. It's especially like Coney Island. I mean, the whole samsara is like Coney Island. Do you remember the bumper cars in Coney Island? They may still have them. The secret is that you have a steering wheel and you're in the driver's seat, as we feel we are, but the steering wheel ain't connected to anything. (laughs) We don't know how, how to drive this thing. No wonder why it's out of control, and that's our life. We think we're in charge, but Werner Earhart named it driving with your hands on the rear view mirror and turning the rearview mirror and wondering why you're not going in the direction you want to go. That's us. Because we don't understand cause and effect, who's doing what around here. Some of us think it's already scripted. 
or there's somebody behind the clouds pulling the strings or others that is totally random, like the bumper cars. If you examine cause and effect, you know, there's no such thing as accidents. There's always some causes that can be perhaps dealt with. And there might be some exception, you know, if an asteroid hits our planet and wipes out all, you know, whatever, the dinosaurs or the species of now. But still there are causes for that. But that's, you know, more like act of God, they call it. That's hard to, you know, if I stop drinking and smoking, then, you know, the planet will be safer. Yes. But it still might get hit by an asteroid because of, like he said, the billions of other causes in the system. So anyway, when you're in the car, car, in car, I don't really think we're really in the car very much. Is your ass really in the seat or are you like four-fifths of the way to your office or wherever you think you're going? You think about this. Are we even in the car? Get back in the car. If you want to do practice in the car while you're driving, get back in the, bring your, collect your mind back in the car. You talked about somatic. Feel your body. Feel your ass in the seat or something. Feel. Sense. Feeling is healing in the naked state. First feeling, then interpretation comes later. That's where stress and illness comes. Feeling, naked perception is healing. Feeling is healing. There's no stress yet in the system. There's no other. There's no bumper cars. So get yourself back in the car. That's where the breathing and the natural comes in. Just sit in the car. That would be awesome. And stop multitasking and, and being where you're not, which, you, you know, you're not, you think where you think you're going. You might not even get there, by the way. We didn't even talk about that. That's a big problem. Living at a certain distance from our body, like Leopold Bloom. This is not a, a new problem. Of course, it's a total fabrication. We're, we're not living outside our body, but we act, we, we're suffering from that gap of lack of integration or, or, or wholeness. So that's why mindfulness helps bring us back to the present, to our body, use the breath, something that's not a belief or hard to find. The breath is always there as an object of attention. Gather our scattered attention back to the breath. Take a breath. <sighs> Come back to the here and now, and then proceed, decide, act. So I hope that's helpful. Thus, the somatic component is a great anchor to present awareness in any situation in the traffic island, the middle of busy Broadway, in busy traffic with people hunking. There were more stressful situations than that. What about in crisis and 9-11 and wartime, in emergency room, in, in fire, in disaster? Look at the disaster, you know, in flood. But still, you can be centered and still inside at any speed when we cultivate that. Great peace is beyond the dichotomy of noise and quiet. Questions? Yes, sir. Hi. <clears throat> my name's Steve. My, my first... Uh, Hi, Steve. My first Ogen retreat. Um, but it's been, it's been led into non-dual teachings by Matthew Flickstein, who's my teacher mm -hmm. and mentor who's a Vipassana for way back and uh, mm -hmm. in the last five, six years has been doing non-dual teaching primarily. 
the question I have is um, about meditation. I'm not, I, I mean, I don't know why I do it. Why I, why I sit there and <laughs> gaze at the wall um, uh, or the sky <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it seems that that primordial Buddha nature is there and I, I don't need to, like, what's the point of, I mean, it's relaxing. <laughs> I find it relaxing, I guess, if I really had to sit, say why I do it. Maybe it's because I find it, it's still, so I'm not, you know, in the world. But it's, it's, I'm just not sure. I don't know. I don't know why, why, why it's there. I mean, the view is there. Um, things are just as they are, and then we react. We were proactively, spontaneously in the world. So, but the middle part, I'm not sure why we why it's there. Is it just to practice? Well, that that's why we're playing with ideas like unmeditation, non-meditation, you know, beyond meditation, and so forth. But um, I mentioned this the other day as Suzuki Roshi said, yes, you are all Buddhas, but you can still maybe use a little tweaking. So is the meditation the tweaking? Uh, yes. That's, okay. <laughs> that's why we meditate. I don't know why you meditate. That's why Suzuki Roshi sat Zazen his whole life after enlightenment, before enlightenment. I mean, his wife said he was never enlightened, but that's a different matter <laughs> because they didn't stress enlightenment. They stressed everyday practice. I hope you're with me. I don't know why you meditate. Maybe you don't need to know why. But, well, I also might wonder who says you should meditate when we get to that level. It was on a slide. I saw it. No, it doesn't say you should. <laughs> I'm just describing the view meditation action like the instructions I'm giving here, but I didn't say you should come here. I mean, obviously, I'm doing this. I think it's worth doing and letting you know about it. We're kind of inviting people to participate if they want to but now we're talking about the should why do you you know why should you meditate why are you getting out of it these are good questions why do you do anything why do you brush your teeth there must be some reason you know there are good reasons there are you know questionable reasons there are other reasons but you know why do you meditate i'm asking you matthew D jr steve that's your name no, really. Why do you, you know, just because, you, you know, we've heard that there is Buddha nature or all the things you said, the great perfection, things are fine as they are. We don't seem to be experiencing that. If everything's fine, why do I feel like crap and desperate so much of the time? And is it fine that the world's, you know, burning, the environment's burning and the wars are going on and a million children are going to bed, a billion going to bed hungry every night and all the other horrors we know? Is that fine? What does the great perfection really mean? What is fine about that? So as I said, I guess we're trying to become better people and contribute to a better world. And this is a part of, you know, the um, sophisticated way of doing so, as well as general progressive development, character building, good work deeds, you know, social action, altruism, compassion and action, etc. 
So I think you may, I don't know you that well, and you haven't really, you haven't really revealed yourself that much yet, but um, I can see that you, you may be suffering from something that's not uncommon among Westerners, but not just Westerners. I'll pick on Westerners now since that's us. Westerners who hear about, who participate in the non-dual traditions. It's called premature immaculation. That's what I call it. You see what I'm saying? Well, idea there's nothing more sort of difficult to work with than somebody who thinks they're empty. It's a combination of nihilism and premature immaculation. Like, if we're all Buddhas, then why do anything? Why do we need to meditate or anything? Do anything? That's a good question. I guess you, you're still look seeking, so you, you're not. You didn't reach unshake. Did I mention this? Unshakable, irreversible, complete and perfect. You know, enlightenment. Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, Buddha. Not just we're all Buddhas by nature, but we didn't quite get it yet. That's the tweaking need needs to be tweaked. Like the silver is as valuable whether it's polished or not, but we polish it for the big dinner for fun because we want to that's why we practice the dharma swooping with the view but still climbing because it makes sense and we want to and living the good life because it makes sense and we want to in the relative sphere there's nowhere else to be try to be a better person a better parent a better community member obviously and take care of ourselves and each other and the environment obviously so that's the tweaking, and maybe it's a lot of tweaking. So it's not enough to just say it's all perfect or we're all Buddhas. Also, if you really study these things, it doesn't say we're all Buddhas. It says we're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize that fact, awaken to that fact. So there are sleeping Buddhas and awakened Buddhas. But why are you meditating? I don't know. Probably habit more than anything. So stop meditating. For so, long. so stop meditating. Well, that's what good. Matthew told me. It's good to break that. a habit and then see what's left, if anything, and re-energize. And what, there's a word: reboot your system. Not necessarily in the same way, but not excluding that. Um, I think we've run out of time. Any burning question? Last question. Slow to the draw. Yes, young lady over there. Self-deception is one of the most pernicious things in the spiritual world. Like, we have it, we, we don't need anything, we're all Buddhas. It doesn't say anywhere we're all Buddhas, by the way. It says we're all Buddhas by nature. Like water and ice, it's the same nature, but it's a, a different state. Yes, Hello. ma'am. My name is Anna. I'm so happy to be here Hi, and in your presence. It's a really wonderful experience. Thank you. So I just had a question about dealing with a particular emotion. Um, that emotion would be fear. How can you be aware of fear without sort of allowing it to take over? So for example, I have an incredible fear of heights. And it's really hard for me to 
be aware of that fear without letting it sort of take over. It's, it's sort of in the past helped to not pay attention to it and go somewhere else. So how do you be aware of, of that particular emotion of fear? Well, I'm not a professional in this field. I've heard the desensitizing, you know, trainings, the people that are afraid of heights or getting in planes or all kinds of things. But, but just any fear in general. Yeah, of course, that's what we're going to get to. But when you add aware of, of, then you're adding another component. So you're already enriching the situation. That's the first thing. So like being aware of thoughts is mindfulness. Just thinking is not. You could be caught up in your thinking or just feeling doesn't, you know, being aware of your feelings is a whole other ball game. And just cut up in your caught up in your feelings like drama king, drama queen. So um, without getting into why you're afraid of heights or if something happened to you, this is what we call karma. It means conditioning. I'm not saying it's from the past life. I'm talking about conditioning. So the good news is that it's just conditioning. And you can recondition pretty much any habit, even strong habits like addictions, like heroin addiction can be reconditioned. So conditioning can be reconditioned. So that's one thing. But the awareness component, if we're going to talk about it from the point of view of practice, being with it, feeling it without having to contract it, run away and hide, being more fearless about it, doesn't mean getting rid of the fear, but being more fearless about the fear also, like being able to tolerate it. Awareness, I think, is the crucial piece. So if you feel the fear, if you could like look at it perhaps into just hang with it a little longer before you contract or run away and hide, put it out of your mind. I mean, that might work, help. You should try. I th- you could try. Um, I mean, if you can, you just put it out of your mind because if that works, then you know, in a way, like, why do anything else? <laughs> can you just put it out of your mind? And that might not account for if you have to be in a high place. I don't know, but the way we live today, everything is kind of climate sealed. So I don't know that you really have to worry about that. You know what I'm saying? You can go, I don't know, can you go up in an elevator in a skyscraper and not look out the window? I mean, that's perfectly functional. But that's not being with everything, not being aware of everything around you. That's right. That's a, it's a more um, guarded way of being. But if dealing with fear is like any other emotion. Awareness is curative. Aware of what you're experiencing in the moment. Even if it's pain, even if it's like I hear childbirth pain, you know, breathing into it and being aware in the moment, being with it rather than again it, co-meditating with it, I call it being with it rather than against it. Takes a lot of the stress and tension out of the system, which is a lot where the irritation and rubbing occurs, the resistance. That would apply to any emo- difficult emotion or really any thought or experience that comes up. That doesn't mean you have to stay with it extra long always and torture yourself, but just see if you can be with it rather than again it, you know, like breathe into it, and just feel it before you contract, run away. And then let me take it from another side. 
we, I introduced this today in the meditation. If you look into who or what is experiencing the pain, it might, it might burst the bubble. You know, that works for some people. Depressurizes the balloon, the, your butt blowing up. Because it shifts the attention. It's not that you have to find an answer. Who, what is angry, shifts the attention from the, whatever you think is making you angry, to the anger itself. Just the attention. It changes the, the whole system, however briefly. So you might look into that if that's a practice that works for you. The self-inquiry who or, question, who or what is, is afraid? So I hope that's helpful. Yes, Good luck, you. young lady. You're a young lady person, and you have a, you know, a lot of potential in work, working with this. And don't fall into the all or nothing thinking about fear. People who are courageous or fearless, they may still feel the fear, but they can manage it. They can deal with it. You know, they say that miraculous masters can walk through walls. What they really mean is they can step through their limitations and own obstacles. That's much better than walking through stone and wood. They can do any way what needs to be done even though they're afraid you manage it. Damn.